Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blind is producing Clark Hilton Engineering, today's program. We're going to share in the second hour of today's program a classic interview with Robert Hutchison. He's the author of What Really Happened? The Death of Hitler. So what really happened? We know what happens next because, you know, it's the judgment seat of Christ. But anyway, we're going to talk or hear from him in the second hour of today's program. First, we'll take a look at some of the day's headlines. Also, later, we'll talk a little bit about America's need for more babies. Uh, without them, the U.S. is facing economic chaos. That runs counter to a lot of what we're hearing about population um, growth and the need to have fewer. So we'll get into that later as well. Well, Senator Graham says that he's going to follow the lead of Texas House Democrats who fled the state and leave for the vote on the spending bill. Well, the senator Uh, He condemned the uh, Democratic spending package and uh, said that during an exclusive interview at Fox News Sunday Morning Futures, that if needed, he will follow the lead of the Texas House Democrats who have been fawned over and called heroes who fled their home state in an effort to kill the GOP-backed voting legislation. They didn't have the votes to uh, uh, to prevent. Uh, Yeah, he said, using another word before it, I won't repeat, I would leave, Graham told Maria Bartiromo, I would use everything lawfully in my toolbox to prevent rampant inflation. Well, the Republican senator made the comments five days after Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced that the Budget Committee has reached an agreement to allot $3.5 trillion for a spending package that would complete President Biden's infrastructure plan. Now, the plan would find um, would rather fund a budget reconciliation package so that Democratic lawmakers can sidestep the need for GOP support and shield the funds from a filibuster. Now, the budget will cover costs to expand Medicare, address climate change, child care and education, all big ticket items deemed human infrastructure that Republicans said would fervently reject. Well, the senator noted that he would support the roughly $950 billion infrastructure plan for roads, bridges and ports, but stressed that the $3.5 trillion reconciliation package designed to pass without a single Republican vote is not infrastructure. Well, in other developments, Representative Lance Gooden, he uh, slammed the Texas Democrats, saying they're very uh, angry at what happened in the last election. And the Texas GOP share, uh, chair rather, ripped fleeing Democrats for performance theater, saying uh, they've created super spreader event. And as we'll discuss a bit later, a number of them apparently uh, has uh, has covid Well, a third athlete at the Olympic Village in Tokyo has tested positive for COVID-19, with the Czech Republic team reporting the case Monday of a beach volleyball player who could miss his first games. Well, Czech beach volleyball player, whose name I will not attempt to mispronounce, could miss his opening game on Monday after the PCR test confirmed his infection. Uh, He and his playing partner are due to uh, the... Uh, to begin their Olympic program against a team from Latvia. Well, Czech team leader Martin Doctor said in a statement that they would ask to postpone the game until the infected player is cleared to play. 
He um, has uh, said that he had been vaccinated as the second member of the Czech delegation to test positive in Tokyo after a team official case was reported on Saturday. He's the third athlete who was staying at the village to test positive. Two South African men's soccer players had their COVID-19 cases announced on Sunday and apparently an alternative uh, A gymnast for the U.S. has also tested positive. Also on Monday, the personal coach of U.S. gymnast Kara Eaker confirmed that the 18-year-old alternate uh, was tested positive. The South African player and a team video analyst who tested positive one day earlier were moved to the isolation facility managed by the Tokyo Olympic Organization. Their 21 close contacts around the South African team now face extra scrutiny before their first games on Thursday against Japan in Tokyo. And a federal judge ruled today that Indiana University could maintain its COVID vaccination mandate for incoming and returning students. In other words, if you want to come back to school, you have to be vaccinated. Well, eight students filed suit against the university on the grounds that the college's requirement infringed upon their individual liberty and bodily autonomy. They also contended that the COVID-19 vaccine should not fall under the umbrella of immunizations schools typically list as prerequisites for enrollment, given that its development and rollout was expedited and that it was not technically approved by the Food and Drug Administration. But it didn't matter. The student's uh, attorney who objected to the rule uh, commented, rather, what we have here is the government forcing you to do something that you strenuously object to and have your body invaded in the process. This is a dangerous precedent. Well, the lawsuit was filed in June after Indiana University announced the a month prior that vaccination would be a condition for reentry on campus in the fall. My guess is there will be an appeal. Oh, with increasing calls for mandatory vaccines, critics note past anti-vax rhetoric from the press and from others. Uh, liberal networks have recently offered um, guests platforms to demand mandatory vaccines, but That represents a change in view. Media critics have unearthed anti-vaccine rhetoric from prominent Democrats and liberal pundits with calls for more Americans to get the COVID-19 vaccine and even make it mandatory. In recent weeks, these networks have offered guests and analysts platforms to demand mandatory vaccines. It's time to impose vaccine mandates and passports. That's a quote from CNN political analyst Julian Zelazar, Zelazar rather, uh, last month. His comments were followed by CNN medical contributor Dr. Uh, Liana Wen, who suggested life needs to be hard for people to remain unvaccinated. Well, conservative commentator Drew Holden provided a thread of Democrats and media members last year who he felt undermined vaccine confidence while President Donald Trump was still in the White House. So it was more of a political than medical or scientific decision at that time. Well, Vice President Kamala Harris was perhaps the most notable person to cast doubt on the COVID-19 vaccine developed under Operation Warp Speed, saying last year she didn't trust the president during an interview with CNN's Dana Bash. Now, I guess she realized that he didn't actually develop it himself. I will say that uh, what I would uh, not trust Donald Trump, I will not take his word for it, Harris told uh, Bash last year when asked if she would get the shot. Her comments were shared and even applauded by left-leaning outlets like the Daily Kos. Well, Harris would later take that message to the 2020 vice presidential debate, noting she wouldn't take the vaccine if it was recommended by Trump. Then Vice President Mike Pence charged her with trying to undermine public confidence in the vaccine. 
Her remarks would resurface after she publicly took the vaccine in December. Well, Biden himself was publicly skeptical of the vaccine last year, of course, under the previous administration. As The New York Times wrote in a telling headline, Biden seizing uh, on worries of a rushed vaccine warns Trump can't be trusted. Well, that title can... um, had some company. Trump's vaccines can't be trusted, the foreign policy column matter-of-factly stated. Will anyone trust serial liar Donald Trump's coronavirus vaccine? A similar Vanity Fair title blared. Media pundits joined in questioning the vaccines produced under Trump's watch. Frankly, the fact that Pfizer was not part of Operation Warp Speed and took no Trump government funding makes me feel better about their vaccine, MSNBC host Joy Reid tweeted in November. Just speaking for myself, I wouldn't be near anything that Trump or his political FDA had anything to do with, close quote. But this weekend, while admitting she first had some hesitancy about the vaccine because of Trump, Reid uh, now told her followers to get vaxxed and survive this freaking thing. Of course, we're talking about the same vaccinations that were uh, developed under the previous administration. Well, despite the initial skepticism from lawmakers and pundits alike, Operation Warp Speed has been heralded as a bipartisan miracle for helping produce vaccines in record time during a COVID-19 pandemic. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a break, but we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Once again, in the second hour of today's program, what really happened? The death of Hitler is the subject of the conversation I had with Robert Hutchinson. The book is published by Regnery and rather interesting, I might add. Well, taking a look at the uh, the news, Joe Biden's border crisis is surging. More than 188,000 migrants were caught illegally crossing the U.S. southern border last month, setting a 10-year record, and Customs and Border Protection agents have made more than a million arrests this fiscal year. Yet, with all of this going on, Americans received a bit of good news on Friday when the U.S. District Judge Andrew Hannon ruled that Barack Obama's Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, was in violation of the Constitution. Well, in his ruling, and it certainly isn't the first, uh, the judge, uh, Judge Hannon, a George W. Bush appointee who's been at the center of other other key immigration rulings explained as popular as the program might be, the proper um, origination point for the DACA program was and is Congress precisely recall that Obama himself repeatedly recognized that he did not have the authority to create DACA only to later issue his infamous executive order subverting Congress anyway. Well, besides Obama's unconstitutionally circumventing Congress to establish DACA, the judge also faulted the administration for its failure to allow for the public to weigh in before establishing the program. Well, Judge Hannon's uh, ruling effectively hits the brakes on the Biden administration's decision to reopen DACA to new recipients. Donald Trump had ended new applications in 2017, although the judge specifically highlighted that his decision would not have immediate impact on current DACA recipients in good standing. Meanwhile, despite the growing flood of illegals surging across the border and an uptick in new COVID infections, the administration indicated plans to end President Trump's use of Title 42, a law applied by his Centers for Disease Control to keep some migrants from entering the U.S. during a worldwide pandemic. 
Well, the Washington Free Beacon reports as part of the preparation for the policy reversal, senior Department of Homeland Security officials warned staff that they will have to process up to 1,200 family units a day. That number of family units works out to 312,000 individuals a year, assuming the border does not see any future surges. And that's a big assumption. Well, following their release from custody, those migrants are in effect free to stay said uh, one DHS official, because many immigrants skip their immigration court hearings, sometimes scheduled two years after they initially were detained. Yet, even uh, the President Biden's de facto open border policy has its limits. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, he warned anyone thinking about fleeing the Cuban communist government's crackdown on people protesting for freedom there, uh, that they're not welcome in the U.S. The time is never right to attempt migration by sea, Mayorkas said, To those who uh, risk their lives doing so, this risk is not worth taking. Allow me to be clear. If you take to the sea, you will not come to the United States, end quote. Just to be clear, those individuals fleeing from genuine political oppression by a brutal communist dictatorship regime will not be welcomed. But Central American migrants simply pursuing better economic opportunity will essentially be given a free pass. Might political calculations be the actual factor here? I'll leave that an open question. Cuban-Americans vote more solidly Republican compared to other Hispanics in the country. That may also weigh heavily on the administration's decision. Finally, regarding the oft-referenced number of uh, 11 million uh, illegal immigrants uh, living in the United States, the real number is likely double that, if not triple, uh, as was determined by Yale and MIT academics in a 2018 study. This further explains the amnesty push. It's not 11 million more a Democrat voters, rather, it's perhaps 22 to 33 million. If we could get politics out, we could make decisions based on the best interest of the whole country. Well, a Florida man who was the first to be sentenced for a felony in connection to the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol will serve eight months behind bars, according to a judge who announced that decision on Monday. The eight-month sentence was less than the 18 months prosecutors sought for Paul Allard Hodgkins, 38-year-old out of uh, Tampa, Florida, who pleaded guilty last month to one count of obstructing an official proceeding. In uh, reading his decision, U.S. District Judge Randolph Moss, uh, Moss rather, cited Hodgkins' sincere statements in court earlier Monday morning, his lack of a previous criminal record, and lack of any leadership role in the mob that stormed the Capitol building on the 6th of January. A man is the uh, first to be sentenced on a felony charge in connection with that riot on, in January, and the judge's decision on how long, if at all, to keep him behind bars uh, it will it likely influence hundreds of other defendants considering whether to take a plea deal or face trial. The judge had rejected Hodgkin's request to be classified as a minor participant in the riot, noting that he was uh, one of a small number of people who made their way onto the Senate floor. Hodgkins later addressed the court himself, asserting that he believed that Joe Biden was the rightful president of the United States and that he had come to Washington, D.C. on the 6th of January to see a president he loved, Donald Trump. In a recent filing asking for the 18-month sentence, prosecutors said Hodgkins, like each rioter, contributed to the collective threat to democracy by forcing lawmakers to temporarily abandon their certification of Joe Biden's election victory and to scramble for shelter from the mobs. Uh, A lawyer for Hodgkins had asked the judge not to impose a prison sentence, saying the shame that will attach to Hodgkins for the rest of his life should be factored in as punishment. 
Whatever punishment this court will provide will pale in comparison to the scarlet letter Mr. Hodgkins will wear for the rest of his life. Patrick uh, Ledick wrote in the recent filing citing a Nathaniel Hawthorne novel in which a woman accused of adultery is forced to wear a letter A. Well, Hodgkins was never accused of assaulting anyone or damaging property. That's not true for others who were involved on the 6th of January. Prosecutors said he deserves some leniency for taking responsibility almost immediately and pleading guilty to the obstruction charge, which carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison, a fine of $250,000 or twice the monetary gain or loss of the offense. But their filings also noted how he boarded a bus in his hometown of Tampa, bound for a January 6th rally hosted by then-President Donald Trump carrying rope, protective goggles, and latex gloves in a backpack, saying that demonstrated he came to Washington, D.C., prepared for violence. Well, court documents show that Hodgkins entered the U.S. Capitol building at approximately 2.50 p.m. on the 6th. Around 3 p.m., he entered the Senate chamber, walked among the desks, and then removed his eye goggles. He took a selfie-style photograph and walked down the Senate well where um, a few feet away, several individuals were shouting, praying and cheering using a bullhorn, according to the Department of Justice. Well, Hodgkins walked toward the individual and remained standing with them while they continued commanding the attention of others. At approximately 315, Hodgkins uh, exited the Senate chamber and the U.S. Capitol building. Meanwhile, Vice President Kamala Harris is going for what a White House official told Fox News as a routine doctor's appointment in Walter Reed Medical Center on Sunday. That's past tense. The visit to Bethesda, Maryland Hospital uh, comes after she met with Texas Democratic lawmakers on Tuesday. Three of the lawmakers uh, had tested positive for coronavirus, with one testing positive Friday night and two others Saturday morning. Uh, Fox asked the vice president's office if the vice president is showing any symptoms of COVID-19. He didn't immediately respond. On Saturday, her spokesperson, Simone Sanders, said that uh, Harris had not been in close contact with the infected lawmakers. Based on the timeline of these positive tests, it was determined the vice president and her staff present uh, present rather at the meeting were not at risk of exposure because they were not in close contact with those who tested positive and therefore do not need to be tested or quarantined. Sanders said in a statement, adding that the vice president and her staff have been fully vaccinated. Well, five of the Texas Democrats who fled to Washington, D.C., have tested positive for coronavirus. The vice president says Democrats who fled are in line with the legacy of Frederick Douglass, who happened to be a Republican, and Selma Marchers, as well as suffragettes, who, to my knowledge, didn't stay in luxury hotels and charter planes to get to where they were going. Just an observation. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break, but we'll return to take a look at some of the day's news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, four are dead at a Michigan music festival, including three with suspected carbon monoxide poisoning. According to authorities on Sunday, they're investigating the deaths of four people at a Michigan country music festival this weekend, including three men who were found inside a travel trailer from suspected carbon monoxide poisoning. Emergency officials responded to the trailer after receiving a call around 1.27 p.m. on Saturday about unresponsive people at a campground in Woodstock Township during the Faster Horses Festival. Well, five men in their 20s were found unconscious. Three of the victims were pronounced dead at the scene. Two were transported to a local hospital in critical condition and were being treated for acute carbon monoxide poisoning. Investigators said the caller was a friend of the five men who became concerned 
when he hadn't heard from them. Also on Sunday, state police were investigating the death of Melissa Donna Havens, whose body was found early Saturday at the Faster Horses Festival as well. Well, Representative Byron Donalds tears into CNN's Brianna Keeler following a tense interview saying they have a political agenda. Nicole Hannah-Jones said Cuba is among the most equal countries because of socialism. We'll talk more about that, what socialism is. Is it an equality system or an economic system? North Carolina County, uh, they launched their Doses uh, to Doors vaccine campaign. We'll see how that goes. Well, the FAA has grounded the Ocean Air Cargo Company that ditched a Boeing plane off Hawaii. The decision to ground the carrier, which operates as TransAir, is separate from the investigation into the July 2nd ditching of that Boeing 737. Now, when you think it couldn't get worse for Johnson & Johnson, it just did. Well, Johnson & Johnson is weighing bankruptcy plans as it considers offloading baby power liabilities. The plan would allow the company to potentially pay out lower settlements through the smaller company. Well, all aboard the Hyperloop, how your commute could be changing. The chief executive and co-founder of Virgin Hyperloop foresees us zipping between cities in minutes a future not as far off as you might think. And Senator Bill Cassidy, a Republican out of Louisiana on Sunday, blasted Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, a Democrat out of New York, and the White House for rushing toward a preliminary vote on Wednesday on a bipartisan infrastructure plan that Cassidy said hasn't yet been completed. Senator Tim Scott's eye-popping 2022 fundraising grabs 2024 attention. That's, of course, the presidential election year. Senator Scott of South Carolina is hauling in a lot of campaign cash as he runs for re-election in 2022. And that's generating some buzz for 2024. He is, you might recall, the only black Republican in the Senate and a rising star in the GOP. He brought in $9.6 million during the April-June second quarter of fundraising, which is an eye-popping figure. And as of the end of June, the senator had $14.4 million in his campaign coffers. Unmask Texas Democrats who fled to D.C. are coming down with COVID-19. The uh, number of uh, positive Texas state lawmakers in the nation's capital is now five. The news comes on the same day that the former vice president, um, I should say, um, uh, current Vice President Kamala Harris visited Walter Reed Medical Center for a routine visit after meeting with a group of lawmakers just last week. There was some speculation about whether or not she was being tested. Um, One commentator wrote that Texas Democrats are a case study in how social media makes people behave stupidly. Rebecca Downs notes that Texas Democrat Gene Wu uh, quipped he is going to ask to... um, um, Ask President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris to institute a mask policy as he mockingly responded to a tweet. Rich Lowry says, hope everyone recovers swiftly, but just imagine the press coverage. If Republicans fled a state to stop a piece of Democratic legislation and then amid all their self-congratulation and maskless photo ops, a number of them came down with COVID. Well, you don't have to think too hard about how that coverage might look. Well, the New York Times says Americans are risking bringing the coronavirus home from Mexico. The story worries, though the U.S. land border with Mexico has been closed to non-essential travel since the start of the pandemic. Vaccinators uh, can fly into the country with no quarantine or testing uh, testing required, uh, opening the door to unvaccinated travelers who might contact the virus in Mexico and bring it back home or for any traveler to pass it on to a Mexican citizen. 
But the New York Times doesn't seem to be concerned as citizens of Mexico cross the border on a regular basis at record numbers. Sort of puzzling how we pick and choose what's of uh, concern. A Washington Post reporter writes, Democrats and the media are going easy on Cuba because they agree with a communist dictator. While on CNN's Inside Politics, uh, Toulouse Oloranipa said there are some Democrats, there are some progressives who agree with some of those things. They agree with universal health care. They agree with some of the programs that were in place in a more socialist kind of society. And just to clarify, it's okay. socialism. It's a communist country, and that needs to be emphasized as well. Hugh Hewitt points out, I am amazed, alarmed and not a little disgusted by the lack of attention to the uprising of an oppressed people in the communist dictatorship. There hasn't been a protest like this in Cuba in 60-plus years. It is as if the fall of the Berlin Wall had been limited to a couple of minutes of network news. Would cable news of 2021 have even covered Boris Yeltsin on a tank in Moscow in August of 1991? These channels rightly invested in the Arab Spring in 2020, or rather 2010. Now they are nearly silent Why? You can read more in the Washington Post. Meanwhile, President Biden's Surgeon General approves of the Los Angeles County mask crackdown. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy said in areas where there are low numbers of vaccinated people, where cases are rising, it's very reasonable for counties to take more mitigation measures like the mask rules coming out of L.A. Well, blacks and Hispanics are much more likely to be unvaccinated with all the talk about Republican states slow to get on board. This stat seems lost on the media. Overall in the United States, Asians lead with 62% vaccinated. Whites are at 47%, Hispanics 39%, and blacks at 34%. I hate that we divide ourselves up in such a way, but it's relevant these days, I suppose. Much to the frustration of um, the uh, the left, the unvaccinated Americans are the least concerned about the Delta variant. Byron York points out on the red state hesitancy, if President Donald Trump had won re-election, the vaccine skepticism might have leaned more to the other side. We can't say that for sure, of course, but we do know that during the 2020 presidential campaign, top Democratic leaders like candidate Joe Biden and running mate Kamala Harris were laying the groundwork for vaccine skepticism before they won the election. Some media allies followed their lead after victory and prepared to take office. Uh, Biden and Harris because uh, rather became full speed ahead on the vaccine developed under the previous administration. A reminder from a daily cost tweet from September of 2020. Kamala Harris wouldn't trust a Trump vaccine and neither should anyone else. She uh, tweeted on Twitter. The American uh, the America first rally rather in Anaheim has been canceled by the venue and the city. They're claiming it's due to safety concerns, but that was undermined by the spokesman for Anaheim, who admitted we respect free speech, but also have a duty to call out speech that does not reflect our city and its values. In other words, free speech is apparently dead in Anaheim. Mark Hemingway said, yeah, that's uh, not how the First Amendment works. Anaheim should be sued into oblivion for this. We'll see what actually happens. Well, Larry Elder was left off of the initial list of candidates for governor of California. The issue will hopefully be resolved today. Also from the story, when Elder announced his candidacy on the 12th of this month, he instantly became one of the most recognizable Republicans in the field, given his years on talk radio and appearances on Fox News and was viewed as a candidate who could further energize GOP voters. He is, by the way, a syndicated talk show host for Salem Media. 
Although uh, Elder is likely to excite many voters, most Republicans are unlikely to stay home if he's not on the list. Jack Pitney, a professor of political science at Claremont McKenna College, says, I think Republicans are going to show up because they hate Newsom, not because they are particular fans of any of the replacement candidates. And the list is growing, Pitney says. Well, former President Obama's Health and Human Services Secretary says the uh, unvaccinated should not be allowed to see children, including their own. Well, from the absurd statement uh, from Kathleen Sebelius, you might recall her. We're in a situation where we have to wildly uh, we have a wildly effective vaccine, multiple choices, lots of available free of charge. And we have folks who are just saying, I won't do it. I think that it's time to say to those folks, it's fine if you don't choose to get vaccinated. You may not come to work. You may not have assets or rather access to situations where you're going to uh, put my grandchildren in jeopardy or you might kill them or might put them in a situation where they're going to carry the virus to someone in a high risk position, end quote. Well, New York City parents are demanding an end to schools forcing their children to wear masks a battle raging in several Democrat-run cities and states. Well, wildlife agencies uh, deem the Asian carp, a kind of fish, offensive, and they're seeking a name change. So the fact that it's uh, Asian, it comes from that region, is somehow offensive now when it's applied to a fish? Hard to keep up. Well, in government and politics, President Biden is being blasted for accusing Facebook of killing people over COVID misinformation, even as the White House is a partnering with a big tech company. The president tried to walk that back just a bit earlier today. A BLM um, nominee Tracy Stone Manning edited a radical eco-terrorist newsletter advocating violence against government officials. Breitbart reports and four Pinocchios as a Washington Post fact checker shredded Jim Clyburn for claiming Democrats never opposed voter ID laws. Wow. Well, President Biden's border crisis is growing worse. Border arrests have already Topped one million apprehensions are on track to set a new record while Democrats plan amnesty and non copus mentis. U.S. scientists are calling for closer research ties with China and U.S. Army missile defense units have carried out the first ever firing of Patriot surface to air missiles in Australia as part of joint exercises with U.S. allies. Uh, that are likely to agitate China, which is engaged in its own increasingly aggressive military moves in the region. You can read more about that in The Washington Times. Well, with regard to the economy, OPEC Plus agrees to boost the oil supply as prices surge and the U.S. retail sales unexpectedly rose 0.6 percent in June. Around the nation in the $1.5 million stunt, Five Texas House Democrats who fled voter integrity have tested positive for COVID. Georgia's House Speaker demands a probe into Fulton County election irregularities, saying it's time we have an independent investigation. In other notables, a new poll says the majority of Southern Republicans and independents want to secede from the union, in addition to almost half of Democrats on the West Coast. Wikipedia's co-founder says the platform has been taken over by leftists and can't be trusted. And some 41 percent of Baltimore high school students earned below a 1.0 GPA. And yet the NEA is focused on critical race theory. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
We're back 49 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour today, we'll hear a classic interview with Robert Hutchinson. His book, What Really Happened? The Death of Hitler. The book is published by Regnery. Rather fascinating look. On this day in history, 1848, the first Women's Rights Convention convenes in Seneca Falls, New York. 1961, TWA becomes the first airline to begin showing regularly scheduled in-flight movies to first-class passengers on a flight from New York to Los Angeles. 1969, Apollo 11 and its astronauts, Neil Armstrong, Edwin Buzz um, uh, Aldrin, and Michael Collins go into orbit around the moon. It was a big deal in 69. 1980, the Moscow Summer Olympics begin, minus the dozens of nations, including the U.S., that are boycotting the games because of the Soviet military intervention in Afghanistan. Tough year for athletes. 1985, Krista McAuliffe of New Hampshire is chosen to be the first school teacher to ride uh, aboard the space shuttle. McAuliffe and six other crew members would die when the Challenger exploded shortly after liftoff in January of 1986. I still have very vivid recollections of uh, witnessing that, as do so many others. 1990, President George Herbert Walker Bush joins former Presidents Ronald Reagan, Gerald R. Ford, and Richard M. Nixon at ceremonies dedicating the Nixon Library and Birthplace since redesignated the Richard Nixon Presidential Library and Museum in Yorba Linda, California. 1993, President Bill Clinton announces a policy allowing homosexuals to serve in the military under a compromise dubbed Don't Ask, Don't Tell, Don't Pursue. Finally, on this day in history, 2016, Republicans convening in Cleveland nominated Donald Trump as their presidential standard bearer. In brief videotaped remarks, uh, Trump thanks the delegates, saying this is a movement, but we have to go all the way. President Biden insisted today that Congress needs to pass his sweeping economic agenda in order to tamp down rising inflation with concerns that another burst of government spending will act as an accelerant to already rapidly rising consumer prices. Now, as our economy has come roaring back, the president said from the White House, we've seen some price increases. Some folks have raised worries that could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. The president said that his administration was doing everything we can to address the higher than expected inflation, but he pushed back against fears of persistent inflation and maintained his stance that recent surge in consumer prices are temporary. Well, look, we brought this economy back from the brink. Actually, this is the Trump economy, but that's another subject. There are uh, going to be ups and downs, he said. Reality is you can't flip the global economic light back on and not expect this to happen. As demand returns, there's going to be a global supply chain challenge. Well, the government report uh, reported last week that prices for goods and services jumped by the most in um, 13 years, fueling concerns that a rapid rebounding economy could lead to runaway growth. Well, the Labor Department said in its monthly report that consumer prices rose 0.9 percent from May and 5.4 percent over the past year. Uh, well, excluding volatile oil and gas prices, so-called core inflation jumped 4.5 percent over the past year. And that's the largest increase since November of 1991. Well, Republicans have latched on to the inflation issue, blaming the $1.9 trillion stimulus bill that Democrats passed without any GOP votes in March for the price spike and attacking Biden for moving forward with another $4 trillion in new spending. 
Uh, And that's just the beginning. Biden's comments come as Democrats begin to make headway on their two pronged economic plans, a bipartisan infrastructure bill that includes more than five hundred billion dollars in new spending and a three point five trillion dollar spending plan that would dramatically expand the government funded safety net. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said on Wednesday, uh, set rather a Wednesday deadline for a procedural vote to start debate on the bipartisan infrastructure bill as Democrats simultaneously work out the details of a separate bill that would invest trillions in child care, education and support for families, also called an infrastructure bill. But they're seeking to pass it as a reconciliation bill because they can do so without a um, Republican uh, support. Uh, Biden claims the government's investment would curtail rising inflation rather than inflame it. Well, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell has mostly downplayed the rising prices for goods and services, blaming the increase on supply shortages and a wave of pent up demand among consumers as more Americans are vaccinated and embark on their past pandemic uh, or rather post pandemic life. He said, however, that inflation could turn out to be higher and more persistent than we expect. He's maintained that it's likely transitory. Let's hope he's right. Let's hope the president's right, although the math to me just doesn't seem to add up. Well, the concern among investors is that rising inflation could force the Fed to pump the brakes earlier than expected, start pulling back the massive monetary support it's uh, providing for the economy. But Powell, testifying before Congress last week, said the economy is uh, a ways away The economy is a ways away from where it needs to be in order for the U.S. central bank to begin unwinding some of the ultra easy monetary policies put in place during the pandemic. So we'll have to wait and see. I hope whatever is in the best interest of the country turns out to be right. It doesn't have to be me, but I hope the the math pins out in such a way that um, that it's best for the country. I have my doubts about the president's projections, but. Again, I'm I hope I'm wrong and he's right about inflation. Well, Chicago Public Schools uh, top doctor Kenneth Fox has been a pediatrician for 30 years. Chicago schools moved to make condoms available to students in the name of prevention. Fox is leading the way. Well, according to an article in the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, Fox, again, Kenneth Fox, who is a pediatrician and Chicago Public Schools top doctor, He believes young people have the right to accurate and clear information to make healthy decisions, and they need access to resources to protect their health and the health of others as they act on those decisions. Well, on the right to accurate and clear information for young people to make healthy decisions, we at Family Research Council agree. We would strongly disagree, however, with distributing condoms in schools as a resource to protect their health. So says the backlash to what the Chicago Public Schools top doctor is recommending. Well, the healthiest sexual context is in marriage between a man and a woman. Children are not able to consent to sex at the age of 10 or 11 in fifth grade. Making condoms available to children at that age is the opposite of a healthy decision. It may even facilitate the exploitation of children. So says the Family Research Council. Well, efforts like these in Chicago public schools are a hallmark of comprehensive sexuality education. Scott Bratt of the Chicago Women's Health Center said as much. The idea is to say we are educational centers. We are community health centers, essentially. And we know to invest in young folks health and well-being by providing comprehensive sex ed. It means we also need to provide the resources. 
For those of us who want to protect children's innocence and honor parental rights, the tendency to view schools as access points to children or vehicles for the delivery of social services is something of a problem. Schools are institutions for learning, not community health centers. Well, when adults make up policies about protecting children that involve giving condoms or other contraceptives to students at schools, uh, meaning outside parental supervision, one has to wonder who actually benefits. It's never beneficial for a 10-year-old to be sexually active. The very suggestion that prepubescent children have sexual agency is uh, disturbingly repugnant. Children do not have a right to have sex. Children are not sex objects and can never meaningfully consent to sexual acts. Adults cannot claim these false rights for children and adults who try must be the very least um, viewed as suspicious. Well, if the justification for giving condoms to children is a problem with sexually transmitted diseases and pregnancy in that age cohort, why are adults in Chicago public schools and Chicago Department of Public Health expecting children to solve that problem? Why wouldn't adults intervene in the life of that child to find out why a 10-year-old boy or girl thinks they need a condom? What's happening in that child's life that leads them to need access to contraceptives? The appropriate resource for children in this situation is not simply health care, but law enforcement and the protection of adults. Huh. Well, one quote from Mary uh, Soch of the Family Research Council says this. Family Research Council opposes exposing children or anyone to explicit material, encouraging children in any way to have sex or commit sexual acts, and creating a hypersexualized culture that will certainly have damaging long-term consequences for children. Family Research Council believes our culture should promote the virtue of chastity and teach that the appropriate context for sexual intimacy is in a loving marital union between a man and a woman. I know that's arcane, but it's true. When fifth graders are at school, they should be learning American history, practicing uh, multiplying fractions, performing experiments that demonstrate how the water cycle works and reading literature that expands their minds and teaches moral truths. No part of fifth grade curriculum should involve access to condoms and the promotion of sexual activity, which obviously is exploitation of minors. Well, I couldn't agree more. Parents in Chicago public schools uh, must, and I hope they do, oppose this program and protect their children. And they must demand that public officials who also protect, uh, who uh, should also protect children and those of us who live in other parts of the country should be painfully aware of what's being proposed in our communities as well. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming at the top of the hour. In the second segment of our second hour, we'll hear a classic interview with Robert Hutchison. What really happened? The death of Hitler. That's coming up in the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing and engineering today's program. He must be exhausted. In this hour, we're going to share a conversation I had with Robert Hutchison. He's the author of What Really Happened, The Death of Hitler. The book is published by Regnery. We'll also share some thoughts on America's uh, need for more babies. Without them, the U.S. faces economic chaos. Anyway, that's coming up later in the five o'clock hour as well. Well, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi spoke at the uh, 
uh, christening ceremony of the USNS John Lewis, a Navy vessel named after a late Democratic congressman from Georgia who had a 100 percent pro-abortion voting record and declared that Representative John Lewis was the conscience of the Congress. Now, she is, for the most part, referring to uh, his um, stance on race issues. But uh, she said that John always demonstrated courage with his presence. Uh, be there, John would say, his presence at the uh, as the first of the Freedom Riders and the head of SNCC or SNCC, his presence as the youngest speaker on the march on Washington and his presence as a hero on the march from Selma to Montgomery and his presence as the conscience of the Congress where he served for three decades, she said. He and I were in the same class, Pelosi said. So that means that we came uh, in the same class of Congress. So we both served together for over 30 years. So I'm not sure I can um, get through this to the end of his of this speech because we are all uh, have so many memories of John. John's great courage made him revered, revered in Congress, she went on to say. Well, she extolled his virtues, but didn't uh, really make much mention of some of the other issues that one would question if, in fact, he were the conscience of uh, the uh, of the Congress. A uh, few individuals in history, the American Bar Association uh, said um, history of American civil rights movement cast as long a shadow as Representative John Lewis. And in that context, that certainly is true. As a member of Congress, he, uh, his voting record earned him a 100 percent rating from NARAL Pro-Choice America in its uh, analysis of his voting record. They said, this is NARAL Pro-Choice America, that Lewis voted against the pan-capable, or rather the pain-capable Unborn Child Protection Act, which would have banned abortions after 20 weeks. NARAL Pro-Choice America also noted that Lewis voted against a bill that defunds Planned Parenthood, includes anti-choice or pro-life policy writers, such as restrictions on abortion care for women who obtain their health care through the federal government. So the conscience in some areas, not so much. In others, both life and death struggles. Although nearly a quarter of Americans, about 23 percent, say socialism means equality, fewer, 17 percent, correctly identify socialism as an economic system where the government controls key factors of production and distribution. That's according to a poll from Gallup in 2018. Well, the same poll found that 42 percent of Americans said they feel positively about Socialism. Well, despite such apparent support for the uh, worldview, many Americans don't have a good grasp of the implications of the system or even what socialism really looks like. Well, a recent report by the American Council of Trustees and Alumni found that only 3% of American colleges require students to take a course in economics. Ten times as many schools require a literature course in the core curriculum. Um, similarly, a class in economics isn't a high school graduation requirement in half of the states. In terms of practically preparing students to engage and be informed citizens in this way, our schools are, well, missing the mark. Instead of developing a framework for economic thinking in the classroom, most Americans hear about socialism from politicians like Bernie Sanders, uh, who has said to me, socialism doesn't mean state ownership of everything. Well, of course it means that by any means. It means creating a nation and a world in which all human beings have a decent standard of living. Well, who wouldn't want that? Sanders does not, however, offer a realistic summary of what socialism really would mean for Americans. Lee Edwards, who is a distinguished fellow in conservative thought at the Heritage Foundation, calls socialism as seen today in Venezuela and in Cuba, a pseudo-religion grounded in pseudo-science and enforced by political might. It's a good description. 
Basic economic ideas such as supply and demand, scarcity, cooperation, trade-offs, and self-interest are crucial to forming realistic and sound economic policy. A 2016 paper in the Journal of Economic Education found that students who major in economics graduate uh, graduate more disposed toward free markets and minimal government intervention than they were when they began college. In other words, students who have studied economics are less likely to be favorable to socialism than they would have been had they not studied economics. Fully 42 percent of millennials say that they felt favorably towards socialism, according to Reason Roop poll in 2014, but significantly fewer than 32 percent of them of the respondents say they favor a government managed economy. So do they know what socialism is? So one of the best weapons against socialism simply may be teaching students what exactly socialism is or economics for that matter. Even a basic grasp of economics would give Americans the tools they need to ask the hard questions about the socialist policies of politicians on the left, such as Sanders. One example, students would learn that socialism not only requires drastic government control over the economy, it has failed everywhere that it's been tried. Now, I know the mantra, if, if we did it and it was just slightly tweaked, it would work. If you examine the components of economic growth, students would learn that capitalism has been the single biggest driver of heightened standards of living throughout human history. The Heritage Foundation's annual index of economic freedom shows an undeniable correlation between economic freedom and prosperity around the world. And without a good understanding of economic trade-offs, it's no wonder that many Americans find the promises of socialism attractive. Offers of free college or free health care are enticing. Politicians rarely explain the cost of these expensive and detrimental programs, though, and so the impression is somewhat skewed. Understanding basic economics, rather, would fill the gaps in many Americans' understanding of the economy and clarify the serious sacrifices that socialism requires. Everyone in society benefits when voters are knowledgeable about the policies they're voting on. Sadly, that has been less and less the case. Americans need not be misinformed or misled about economic topics and policies. Well, colleges and universities across the Fruited Plain should make economics classes a priority for students. And certainly far more than 3% of American colleges should recognize the fact that an understanding of economics is a key component of a civic education. Even if you embrace socialism and are confident that that's the way to go, a solid education in economics, you should uh, argue, would affirm that position. Sadly, that's not the case, and I believe precisely because it's less likely to do so. Well, if you oppose critical race theory, you should die. Okay, I'm quoting um, a message sent out on Thursday by an official of both the Virginia Parent Teacher Association, that's the PTA in Virginia, and the state NAACP to a group of critical race theory Supporters. Now, think about that. Was it an offhand comment? Was he serious about what was being said? Well, or was she was she serious? Um, These days, one needs to wonder. Well, here's what Michelle Leet, vice president of communications for the Virginia State PTA and first vice president of the Fairfax County NAACP yelled out to a crowd of critical race theory supporters. Let's meet and remain steadfast in speaking truth, tearing down double standards and refuting double talk. Let's not allow any double downing on lies. Let's prepare our children for a world they deserve. 
Well, let's deny this off-key band of people that are anti-education, anti-teacher, anti-equity, anti-history, anti-racial reckoning, anti-opportunities, anti-help people, anti-diversity, anti-platform, anti-science, anti-change agent, anti-social justice, anti-healthcare, anti-worker, anti-LGBTQ+, anti-children, anti-healthcare, anti-worker, anti-environment, anti-admissions policy change, anti-inclusion, anti-live-and-let live people now my you probably didn't know that all of that was encapsulated in questioning whether or not critical race theory is itself racist and will undermine what the civil rights movement was all about she went on to say let them die don't let these uncomfortable people deter us from our bold march forward the let them die line was met not with stunned silent or gasps of disbelief but applause and cheering those who cheered were counter-protesting a stop crt rally uh, that met before a fairfax county school board meeting well the virginia pta on friday released a statement in response to news accounts of leet's incendiary remarks albeit without identifying her by name the virginia pta called her um, comments a disturbing choice of words uh, and insisted that they don't reflect the values of the organization now, the standing ovation and the um, hue and cry that uh, uh, that uh, rose up, the cheers that rose up after the statement was made should raise some al- uh, some eyebrows. But it said that the uh, the board members, presumably including Leet, would soon participate in sensitivity training It was not exactly a strong rebuke or an apology. Well, neighboring Loudoun County, Virginia, also a short distance from the nation's capital, has received considerable media attention for apparent-led rebellion there against critical race theory. But the issue is rapidly heating up in Fairfax County as well, and parents are rebelling there too. We're not just talking about Caucasian parents. We're talking about African-American parents, Asian parents, Hispanic parents, the full gambit. Well, the Fairfax County School District has been aggressive in transforming its pedagogy toward critical race theory, anti-racism, and equity as they refer to it. But I think it is uh, anything but that. It imposes a form of racism, excluding certain groups, but imposing it on others. In terms of equity, even that is skewed in critical race theory. Well, the district has likely paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for diversity consultants it has to justify. According to documents obtained through public records requests, they paid $20,000 for an hour-long lecture to teachers and administrators by anti-racist activist Ibram X. Kendi and appear to be transforming their schools into what Wall Street Journal columnist Jason Riley, who is black, has called social justice boot camps. Clearly, many parents of students there have seen enough and are organizing to stop the destruction of their children's education. And it continues. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll talk with Robert Hutchison. What really happened? The death of Hitler. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. The final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. In light of some of the stories we talked about today... Uh, We're learning that the number of babies born in the U.S. last year was the lowest in more than 40 years. And that's according to figures released in May by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, that may not be a big deal until you put it into perspective. Women in the United States had about 3.61 million babies in 2020. That's down 4 percent from the prior year. The total fertility rate, the average number of babies a woman would have over her lifetime, fell to 1.64, well below the level of 2.1 
It's needed for um, population levels to remain constant. Now, that was the lowest rate on record since the government started tracking it in the 1930s. Well, the consequences of this trend, if it's uh, if it continues, experts warn, will be serious. Now, just a quick note before I tell you some of the elements to consider. Women don't have children for the sake of the nation. They have children because they have a family and they have plans and so on. But in the broader context, I think it's interesting to uh, to note that children, which are a gift from the Lord, uh, when um, prevented, have real world consequences. Uh, the consequences uh, include slower economic growth, higher labor costs caused by a shortage of workers, less funding for schools and colleges, more pressure on health and pension systems, more resources and time diverted to elder care. Well, demographers say that social and economic shifts um, are driving down fertility. Now, people don't feel like they can afford children, which is really interesting because prior to the age when you didn't have the choice during the Depression, during war and so on, people had children and somehow raised them, sometimes with great difficulty, but they had them and they raised them. Births peaked in 2007 before plunging during the recession that began that year. And they kept falling even as the economy grew again in 2009 until last year. It's not just COVID. It's the fact that the birth rates never recovered from the Great Recession. You remember that, the Great Recession? About 7.6 million fewer babies have been born as a result of lower fertility rates since 2007. Now, speculated um, uh, Amer- America is in danger of becoming an inverted pyramid. Japan would be the perfect uh, example where old people outnumber working age people who outnumber children. Now, this would pressure um, uh, the smaller base of adults expected to work and create new businesses and pay taxes and spend activities that keep a society from uh, stagnating, uh, according to sources. Well, uh, they'd be juggling to meet the needs of their elders and their children at the same time, and it would be somewhat lopsided. Well, it's already happening dramatically in countries, as I mentioned, like Japan, which has the highest proportion of people over 65 anywhere on the planet. Well, according to Bloomberg, the birth rate drop in the U.S. is part uh, partly due to a 31 percent decline in fertility rates among Hispanic Americans since 2006. Well, that compares to an 11 percent drop for black women and 5 percent drop for white women. Other studies reveal that uh, uh, the drop is affecting the entire country. Most women having children today are millennials born between 81 and 96. Research shows that they're marrying later in life, have uh, higher levels of education, better career prospects. Yet because of the 2007 recession, they have accumulated less wealth compared to previous generations when they were the same age. Meanwhile, the teenage birth rate has fallen 75 percent during the last 30 years, due in part to the impact of the economic downturn on unskilled workers, according to Pew Research. Well, with fewer toddlers who would have been um, our future wage earners and taxpayers, along with the reduction in immigration to bolster the workforce, and we've relied heavily on immigration for that purpose, uh, the long-term fiscal health of the United States looks less and less rosy. Some example, if the current downward trend continues, Social Security will be pummeled with fewer young people to contribute um, via payroll deduction. Medicare will take a, a hit because young and healthy people will no longer be around to prop up the system designed to care for and pay for the elderly and infirm. Social and uh, charity services traditionally staffed by young volunteers, uh, low pay employees will struggle to uh, to operate. And the fertility rate slowdown poses a dilemma for politicians as well. I won't go into all of the details 
uh, for that, but it is a consideration. Now, the administration believes that uh, programs uh, that they're uh, proposing um, will produce more children, that women will be encouraged to have more children uh, because we'll be more akin to a welfare state or a socialist state where everything is provided. Uh, That said, reasonable population growth is an important part of a growing economy, both for private sector growth and public programs like Social Security. That's a quote from a top Republican strategist uh, who's advised Jeb Bush, Lamar Alexander, John McCain. This is Mike Murphy. Um, He's also advised to Arnold Schwarzenegger, I should mention. He was speaking to Newsmax magazine and he went on to say a society without enough young people is like a house without floorboards. We don't want to face the problem. Japan has with a rapid, uh, rapidly growing older population and a shrinking younger population. One reason that Japan has had uh, to uh, become a tech leader in robotics. It's out of necessity, not just innovation. It, of course, requires innovation, but there was um, uh, necessity behind it. Well, how serious is it? Well, the nation's population is now growing at the lowest annual rate since 1918. That's according to the recent Census Bureau estimates. The Bureau estimates that the trend will continue into the next decade. Uh, the Bureau also projects that after 2030, immigrants will account for more than half of the the nation's population growth if, in fact, immigration continues. A senior fellow at the Brookings Institute believes that uh, what this means is that immigration will become an increasingly important contributor to America's health moving forward. They will underwrite, if you will, the programs that are um, entitlements that people have paid into, but they are pay-as-you-go programs because we have overpromised with what is actually contributed. As the country faces continued population stagnation, the 2020s will become a crucial period for understanding the role of immigrants in our economy and society, he went on to say. Well, a Brookings study estimated there will be uh, 300 to 500,000 fewer U.S. births In 2021, the CDC says that if American women continue to give birth at existing rates, they'll have um, 1.78 children over their childbearing years, which is nearly half of the 3.58 kids that young moms were having in the 1950s. There are really some very extreme implications that there that we have not yet experienced as a country. An interesting consideration. All of that with a backdrop of extending awards to individuals who um purpose to only have two children for the sake of climate change. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, James Blend producer, Clark Hilton engineer, although James Blend is wearing both hats today. Thanks for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.